Father, as we eventually come to your table, Father, that the believers that here at PCBC, my church family, be fresh encouragement in their faith, a fresh stirring in their heart, in their love for you, Lord, in their love for their brothers and sisters, and Father, in our love for the lost, as we once again focus on the truth of the gospel. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I said I was going to do a book giveaway every Sunday, the, first, the two services for uh, leading up to Christmas. I lied, so let me just say that, because uh, last week I forgot to do a book giveaway for um, the second service. So, uh, this morning I have Knowing Scripture by R.C. Sproul. And I have a book here. Now, this, let me say real quick about this book. You may see the title and go, it looks kind of corny. That was actually my first impression when I saw it, too, because the title of the book is Awe, A-W-E. And I thought, ah, we'll see. But I ended up buying this years ago, reading through it, and being unable to stop. It is actually probably one of my very favorite books by Paul David Tripp. So I'm giving you a twofer. Knowing Scripture, CDs by R.C. Sproul, and this book by Paul Tripp, I'm giving this to the person who last clipped their fingernails. Dennis? Last night? Roger? What time? My, my elders are so well manicured. I just... I want to thank you for doing that, Dennis. Good work. <laughs> ah, just never know what's coming out of those two. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, TMI, brother. All right. We're going to turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verses eighteen to twenty. Last week, as I as I shared with you. Um, We talked about the gospel last week. We talked about the message to declare this week is the messenger to declare it. And I do not mean Tom or Anne. But the the messenger that, well, no, I do mean Tom and Anne. They are messengers of the gospel. And they are the messengers. This this is part two of this mini-series that I, um, it's just been on my heart. As we we last week looked at this, concept of the gospel. What's our message? Do you have the message? And is the declaration of the message taking place? Well, now I want to ask this question. What's God's design for getting that message out there? What is his method? I want you to look at Matthew 16 with me, for starters. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians in just a bit, but Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, um, verse 15. Jesus is asking this, but he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, 
Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. I, Jesus Christ, will build my church. It's not a pastor's church. It's not a church board's church. It's not individual members' church. I, I Jesus, will build my church. I will do it. Now, I'm, I'm belaboring that point intensively because it, it, that gets so fuzzy and so mixed up in our world, in our culture, where we think we're building the church, we do, oh my goodness, we, we, have, we have large conferences on quote-unquote church growth, and we forget growth of the church is done by Jesus Christ. I'm talking about numerical growth, not spiritual growth. It's a whole different category of growth. When we talk about the church growing spiritually, growing in the knowledge of the Lord, growing in their sanctification, yes, but specifically, more people getting saved, more people attending a local church. We all have things that we struggle with. One thing I personally struggle with, what I mean by this, is that it really, really bothers me when I see the, the church use the world's means to get more people into a building and then grant them this sense of assurance because they entered that building and they go to hell convinced they're Christians. That that boils me. Because you use the world's means to get people into a building, then you congratulate them for making some kind of a profession which may be true, may not be true, and you grant assurance so fast and they walk away going, I'm saved. Nothing's changed in my life whatsoever. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm saved because the pastor told me. And then you die and you go to hell with the assurance you would open your eyes in heaven. I will build my church. Jesus Christ will do it. No man's tricky, and this is the Greek word I've been meditating on, shenanigans (laughs) will accomplish this. So last week we talked about the message. Just to remind you guys, if you would, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And I want to do this kind of brief because we covered this in detail last week, but a reminder of this message. And really at the very heart of this message is the concept of substitution. The righteousness of Christ in place of my sin, and my sin accredited to the Lord Jesus on the cross. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. This message of substitution is the, is the message. There is salvation nowhere else but in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, if you would, turn with me just a couple passages. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And it's my prayer that as I read this verse, you already have it to memory or you have a great familiarity with it. Acts chapter 4, verse 11 I'm going to do 11 and 12 together. <clears throat> this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which had become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then just for time's sake, I don't have to worry about returning to this unless you want to, but Galatians 1, 6-9 says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This message is the truth. This is the, this is the only means by which anybody can be saved, is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. When Christ died on the cross, he was the substitutionary atoning sacrifice. He atoned for the penalty of our sin as the substitute to lay his life down in our stead. That is the gospel. That is the glorious news, and it is the only gospel. It is the only means by which we can be saved is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hit that nail very hard last week, but um, let me... Let me say what I ended on last Sunday. That message is not the message that we learn at the beginning and then forget in our Christian life. That message is the forever meditation of the believer. We contemplate the gospel. We concentrate on the gospel. We meditate upon the truths of the gospel. And I'm convinced, you guys, the more we do that, the deeper our appreciation for Christ, the greater our love for Him, the greater our love for the body of Christ, the greater our love for the lost, the more we meditate and pierce into the truths of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And I'm convinced in heaven, in the new heavens, new earth, with all the saints, in the presence of God, the truth of the gospel will still be forever our meditation. Not our only meditation, but it will, it will be the, the banner over all that we do. Now, if you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because the question that I want to pose to you before we do come to the Lord's table is this. Okay, if that's the message, that's the only means by which people can be saved, and they don't have the message, 
what is God's design for getting the message to the world? Now, some of you at this point may be saying, Dan, this is Christianity 101. It is, but let me remind you, as soon as you have no practice or focus on the fundamentals is when you start making huge mistakes in the game. I remember when we were playing church softball, and we would practice and practice and practice, and some of it was easy, some of it was a little bit more difficult. But I remember when, when somebody would come on the field and they'd miss a ball, our coach, he'd always say, hey, use two hands. Well, nobody wants to use two hands. You look nerdy. But he'd say, hey, two hands. Put, use two hands. And remember people saying, I don't want to use two hands. I don't care how you feel about whether you look neat or not. If you drop the ball, they keep running. Catch the ball, use two hands, do what you have to do, but don't drop the ball. Practice the fundamentals. And so we as believers, I think, should consistently think about these fundamentals. Now, here's the interesting part. I'm convinced the more we focus on the fundamentals, the more we actually don't fully grasp the fundamentals. I don't think that it's we go, okay, now I've got it figured out, good, I can move to something else now. Anytime we think like that, I think we're ready for a pretty good fall. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and catch this, beloved, and gave, keyword gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God. And then here's one of the best summations of the truth of the gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this is what is is, um, amazing and is so incredibly humbling. It's one thing when you, when you go to do something, to get trained to do something, or you take a class or something along those lines. But it's quite another when the class is all over and the instructor says, you know what, I want you to help me instruct the next class. I want you to be involved in it. I want you to, to get your hands dirty and do the work alongside with me. And so it's interesting to me if you say, okay, Lord, so what's your design? You have this this message, this life-giving message that will save and rescue souls for all eternity. What method would you prefer to use to get that saving message to this world? You, God, what do you want to do? And his answer is, I want to use the broken people that I redeemed to carry the message. Sometimes I wonder if, if that is so familiar to us that we've lost the brilliance, the, this brilliant concept that Almighty God has said, I want you to be the one that takes the message. Me? Now, by the way, um, I'll get to this in just a little bit further, but 
When I say me, I don't mean me. I mean us. You. Me. The redeemed. God decided to use his redeemed people. Those who have tasted the salvation from this message now go and herald this message. Those who have tasted the salvation now declare this message of salvation. The, the, the word that is used about you, by the way, this is a definition of you. You are an ambassador for the Lord Jesus. An ambassador does a couple things. The ambassador is a representative of someone, but is also the one who carries the message of that someone. So when you show up somewhere as an ambassador, you are the way you show up, the way you dress, the way you present yourself as an ambassador says a lot about the person you're seeking to represent as well as the message that you are giving from the person you're seeking to represent. Now, don't get me wrong, guys. I'm, I'm using this as an illustration. I'm not saying if you're not wearing a tie, you're not representing Jesus. I don't, I don't mean that. What I'm seeking to get across is that the reality is how you carry yourself and how you live your life is a piece to this whole thing. That's why the Scripture says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. So the way, the holiness of your life, the way you live your life is a platform you stand on to preach from in this world. You just saw how much air I can actually get on the basketball court, which is none. Um, this, This blessed privilege of being granted to be the one that goes before the world and says, thus saith the Lord. I know what the king said. I will tell you what the king said. I will declare what the king said. I will represent him. Is a privilege that is mind-boggling. And so, not only are you there to represent him, yes, but also, you're there to declare his message. And I, I, I don't want us to go too quickly past this. Not your message, but even more than that, not his message with your changes to it. Um, Picture this, okay? You show up at your house, and it's right around the time your mail is delivered. Now, most of us probably have P.O. boxes, but follow with me. Your mail is being delivered to your house, and when you get there, you see the mailman standing there, and he's writing and writing and writing and writing and writing, and then he licks the envelope, seals it, and then he sticks it in your mailbox. What is the mailman doing writing me a letter? And you go up and you say, excuse me, mailman. We'll say his name is uh, Jeff. Excuse me, Jeff, what are you doing? And Jeff says, um, I, uh, I decided that instead of giving you what your loved ones intended for you for your Christmas letters, I decided to give you a message from me. And so, therefore, I, I, I thought my message that I give to you is far more important than the message from your loved ones. Is he a good mailman or a bad mailman? Would you prefer him as mailman? Maybe you would. Uh, <clears throat> no, I, I, don't, I don't. That's not your job. Your, your job, Jeff, mailman Jeff, is, is to bring me the message from somebody else. 
You don't alter it. You don't change it. You don't play with it. You don't, you, don't, you don't add to it. You don't take away from it. You bring the message intended for me. Don't touch it. And yet, in our world right now, how many spiritual mailmen are altering the message of the king and taking the truth out of it, the teeth out of it, the salvation out of it? And so they drop the concept of hell or judgment or wrath, the concept of, of the, the crucifixion, all these different things where different preachers are removing the saving truth of the gospel, and they're sitting there writing the letter out while they've thrown God's letter away, thinking this will be more, it'll go down a little easier with this fallen world. We believers, Christians, beloved, our response should be, don't touch the mail from the king. Leave it alone. It's his message. And here's, the, here's the, the sadness in my heart, the irony of all of this. What happens is somebody alters the message for the purpose of getting people saved faster. <laughs> that right there is, is ironic. So that way, they get the message changed. The world likes the message a little better. The world believes the message. The world comes, and all together they celebrate this message, and the entire time it's a complete lie, and there is no message. There is no salvation. And they're totally convinced there is salvation in a message that never came from the king, and they're declaring it came from the king. So there's no salvation, there's no message, and the king's nowhere to be found. Because the message has been altered and not been truly carried by the messenger to this world. You're an ambassador, beloved. You are there to represent him, and you are there to declare his message, and as soon as you're done, that's where we close our mouths and we walk away. Let the word do the work of the ministry. Now, it's not the job of the herald to write the message but to accurately and boldly declare it. It is never the job. The king does not say, well, what do you think? Why don't you come up with the message today? I'll sit back and relax. But king, they want to hear from you. Yeah, you, you handle it this time. Well, and just say that I said it. That is not what has gone on here. Rather, the living God has a one true saving message, and he has called you and I to be faithful and bold in declaring it. Um, let me hit on this note really quick about this declaring. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, preach the gospel every day, sometimes use words. I don't know who said that. I don't really care who said that. It's become kind of a popular cliche. I'm very leery of that statement. I think I know what he meant, I think he would attach it to the verse of live your life in such a way um, that, that represents the gospel well. And I would have no issue with that. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. I have no problem with that. But I know the inner lawyer in my heart that would justify my inaction to declare the message. And so because I took the card away at Freddy's instead of just leaving it beside some other car, I took it back because I'm a moral man. Maybe somebody saw that and I'll get saved. Come on, Dan. So, 
my justification for my inaction of the gospel can get pretty weird. Where I can say, I'm living my life in a way that when people see how I act, they'll get born again. Nobody gets born again because they saw you live well. Now, they may ask you how to get born again because they saw you live well and they want to hear more, but nobody gets saved by saying, wow, he's moral, now I'll be moral, then we'll both be moral, then we'll go to heaven because of our morality. False. Not true. The declaration of the message is what we must be doing. Now, the platform of our living should certainly be there, and that's why I don't want to negate that in any way, shape, or form. But, beloved, we cannot substitute it. There's not some other means for people to get saved. God has designed it that we herald truth. We declare a message. And I know when we hear herald or declare or proclaim or preach, when we hear that, we think of a pulpit, we think of a preacher, we, we have that concept. But that, that's not what I have between my ears this morning. No, no, no. I, when I think of proclaim, when I think of declare, I think of, a, of an individual sitting at a coffee shop, having a cup of coffee with a good friend, and that friend starts to ask some piercing questions about heaven and hell, about life and death. And that's where your heart beats a little faster. You've been there before where you're talking to somebody and your heart starts to go a little faster. You feel just a little nervous. Your just palms are a little sweaty. And you go, man, I'm going to say the name Jesus and I'm interested to see what their facial expression does. And then you share the gospel. Beloved, you declared. You proclaimed the truth. It's not a matter of a gathering of people in a pulpit and that, that's um, precious, and I love it, and it's huge in my, my life. But if we move that aside, biblically what we're talking about is the saints get born again, and God says, congratulations, you have now been redeemed. You've been reconciled unto God, and now go out and declare the, minister, the, the message of reconciliation. This is not simply the job of the pastor or the evangelist, or the super-Christian who has the quote-unquote gift of evangelism, all God's people have this mandate upon them. And you cannot get away from it. And let me make that more positive. Why would you want to get away from it? It's a glorious privilege. And yet, have you ever uttered these words or been with a friend who's uttered these words? I'm just not gifted in evangelism like Roger. I'll preach without words and see what the Lord does. I haven't gotten enough training in how to be an evangelist. I haven't been a Christian long enough. I don't know what I'd say. I don't want to offend. How long could I go on with other excuses that simply keep saying, me to God, I don't want to be the one that preaches this message. And yet the Lord comes back in his word with clarity. I didn't ask. I told you you are. You are the herald. You are the one who declares it. You've been redeemed. You've been reconciled. And now I've given you the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. Now, declare. There's salvation in no other way. Let me shift gears here um, to point three. Okay. 
<clears throat> and that is this. What's the power of evangelism? This is where I think we get very muddied, beloved, where we start to... Um, and I don't, want to be, I don't want to be harsh because I think the motives can be very, very pure. So I, I, want to be, I want to be kind. But at times when folks seek to alter and play a lot of games with the methodology, thinking the method that we use will make it a lot better and we'll get more saved. Do you see where the power of evangelism is being placed in that mindset? My method will make the difference whether people are in heaven or hell. That's an incredible weight to be on your shoulders, number one. Number two, it's a weight that's not biblical in any way, shape, or form. Where's the power of evangelism? Which is another way of saying, where's the power of conversion? Where's the power of regeneration? What accomplishes this? Because you've been there, I've been there, where you've shared your faith, right? You're talking to a friend or a family or whatever, and you share about the Lord Jesus, about his death on the cross and how it's altered your life, and, and you pour that out a little bit, and the person standing there goes, well, I'm glad you found religion. Then they walk away, stiff as a board, spiritually speaking. But their cousin was over here and heard you preach, and they say, oh, I couldn't stop listening. And I came to Christ. So much for your methodology makes me think of Spurgeon when he was standing in a, large, in a large church building, and I forget exactly what he declared, but some verse he declared, and there happened to be a man in the building, he had no idea was there, and that man came to Christ. You hear these stories all the time where you had no intention of that individual hearing what you're talking about, and they come to Christ. <clears throat> I'm not arguing for <clears throat> sloppy methodology and lazy evangelism. What I'm arguing for is having a good, clear, crisp theological understanding of where's the power of this whole thing. And here's where I want to... I want to make things... Uh, not I want to make, let me rephrase that. This is where I want to remind you of your task that I believe would comfort you, but also light a fire underneath you. The Christian is called to herald the message. That is the calling on your life, is the heralding of this message. The results of evangelism are not up to man. We are not called to convert people. You don't save people. When the phrase is used, I saved somebody, there's a, there's a, a mistake in the terms, in the, in the words being used, because theologically, you didn't save anyone. I hear people say sometimes, I got 14 saved at camp. You didn't get anybody saved. The reason that bothers me is, that's all God's glory, and you're pulling it in. Like, you did it. You didn't do it. There is a great and complete dependency upon God. It is the Lord who opens the heart of man, the eyes of the heart, the apostle says, to see the gospel for what it is and respond. 
Let me give you some Bible to chew on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, we know this. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? How? How do you know that? Because our gospel came to you not only in word. So there's the word of the preacher declaring that message. But also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of man we prove to be among you for your sake. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. So I'm, I'm giving you the truth of what happens, but I also want to give you a picture, an actual occurrence where this happens. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. Acts 16, 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman, the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed Upon us. The Lord opened her heart and heard the words of the Apostle. And then finally, Ephesians chapter 2. There's a lot of Bible verses that have that are like touchstones for me historically in my life as a Christian. Ephesians chapter 2. This portion I'm going to read to you is probably the most personal, gripping portion of the word for me in my Christian life and in my experience. I could not get away from this passage in high school. And you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast, for we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The power of the gospel, the power of evangelism, the power of salvation is not up to you. The results are the Lord's. The mandate on your life, Christian, is faithful obedience to herald the true gospel. To know the true saving gospel and with a heart filled with passion for the lost, state it freely, clearly, boldly, passionately. And then the Spirit of God is the one that accomplishes the task. Who's the messenger? You are. You are who God has called. The mandate on the Christian is faithfulness to proclaim the message of the gospel. At times, beloved, evangelism is brought up and it gets spoken of as a difficult task because there is confrontation involved. At times, we share a message the world hates. But hate it or not, It is the only message by which they can be saved, and God has entrusted it to you. If you had the cure-all for cancer right now, and God gave it to you, and you walked around Pacific City, and people said, it tastes disgusting, I won't touch that stuff. It will cure you of this cancer. I still don't want it. Would you stop? If you knew this is the truth, if you knew this was the answer... You'd thunder it. You'd proclaim it. You'd declare it. You don't understand. You've got to know. You've got to know. Put that on the level of all eternity. And apart from this message, their eternity is wrath. You've got to know. And so, as we come to the Lord's table, I want to give you two vital ingredients to the Christian. Two vital ingredients to the Christian. Number one is a passionate desire for the lost to know the saving Lord Jesus. Passionate desire. How much attention, time, money was given this week to your desire to see the lost know Christ? I'm not trying to do a guilt fest, but here's a question for you to ask yourself right now. How much time, money, effort was given for the specific reason that the lost might know Jesus. Well, Dan, what does that look like? I'm being vague on purpose. Because I just want you to ask the question. Let the Spirit of God do the application where he wills. But that's a vital ingredient. And I'll give you Romans chapter 9, verses 2 to 3, Romans 10, 1, and 1 Corinthians 9, 22 to 23. Those are some passages that just speak very clearly of Paul's passionate plea. So much in Romans 9, he says, I would that I could be cursed for the sake of their salvation. 
so that you plead in tears with a broken heart for the lost to know Jesus. That's in that hand. And then in this hand, a confident trust in the power of God to accomplish all his will with the message of the gospel that you've faithfully proclaimed. I am convinced if, if you do not have one of those in each hand, something is desperately wrong theologically and in practice as well. If you don't have that burning hot passion for the lost to know Jesus and that great confidence that the power of conversion is in the power of God and not into you. So, beloved, my prayer before we do come to the table is this. I want to back up a handful of steps and simply ask and pray, Father, would you let me, would you allow me to see when the opportunities come? Because that's a tough part. How many opportunities did I miss because I was busy, quote unquote, or focused on something else? My prayer is that the living God would, would enable me to see when those opportunities arise, to declare that precious, sweet message. For beloved, you are the one who has been given the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. Is it hidden somewhere in your house? Is it in your pocket? Is it in your hands? Where is it? Where's this message of reconciliation in your life right now? Father, I I thank you. I thank you so much for the, the amazing privilege that you've saved me. You've made me new. I've been born again. 